Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 4. If you have a prayer slip or a visitor slip, if you've passed that to the center aisle, we'll be sure to collect those and pray for you this week. Thank you for sharing your concerns with us, and welcome to those who are visiting uh, with us this morning. Romans 4, Father Abraham, why is he important for our consideration this morning as we think about what it means to be a Christian and to worship the living God? Well, when we think of Father Abraham, it automatically brings us back to the source of salvation, not through Abraham, but through what Abraham believed. We read in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And that is the standard and that is the way that God has saved sinners from the beginning of time. But that's not always the message you hear these days, is it? Our our Kent Hughes captures the heart of folk religion with the following message from a preacher who had long departed from the biblical gospel. And this preacher summarized the idea of faith, saving faith, with this story. It seems that a frog one day fell into a pail of milk. And though he tried every conceivable way to get out, he always failed. The sides were too high and too slippery. And because he was floating in the milk, he could not get enough leverage to leap out of the pail. So he did the only thing he could. He paddled and he paddled and he paddled. And in time, he produced a little pad of butter that became a launching pad. And he got on that pad of butter and he got out of that pail of milk. And the preacher's message was, just keep paddling. Just keep working. Keep on doing your best and you'll make it. That's awful. That's not the biblical message of salvation at all. Hughes continued by stating, despite the fact that Amazing Grace is our favorite hymn, most people think that if they just do their best, they will somehow make it to heaven. Modern man is, as a matter of fact, deeply hostile to the concept of justification by faith alone through God's grace. Humanity is much more comfortable with the motto, we get our salvation the good old-fashioned way, we earn it, which may be good for an investment firm, but really is bad theology. Basically, it's justification through the good life, and that's the way most people think of salvation. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. The book of Romans is the Apostle Paul's inspired uh, letter to present the the gospel, um, the gospel of God, which is not based on human achievement. And maybe that's in your thought process. You were told from an early age, you work hard, you could be anything you want to be. And you brought that over into an idea of how you relate with God. But that's not how God relates to us. Our sin has separated us from him, and he has bridged the gap through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. In making this argument of justification by faith in Romans 4, Paul calls to our attention Abraham, the father of the faithful. And in my background reading this week on Abraham, and in particular just doing a life study on any Bible character, there are some advantages to that. Charles Swindoll points out several that I want to just bring to your attention. Why is it important for us to give focus on Abraham uh, as it comes up in Romans 4. 
Well, Swindoll says that a good biography translates truth into life. And that is true. When we look at the life of another, it puts flesh and bone in theological discussion. We need that, don't we? We might be tempted to say, well, that was Abraham. You know, I I am who I am. But God has presented the life of Abraham and all the other aspects of Scripture for our learning and for our encouragement. Swindoll writes, biblical truth thrives in the soil of real life. Where it bursts to life, blooms, where it blooms and bears fruit. And in Abraham, we see trials and mistakes and failures. We also see triumphs and God move in unmistakable ways in his life. Another positive with biographies, a good biography creates a closer kinship with people we've admired from a distance. Well, you want to put a distance between us today, living in the 21st century. Uh, Abraham lived 1,800 years B.C. So that's 1,800 years, 3,800 years removed. What does a nomad living 3,800 years ago have to do with my life? One thing it should bring to our mind is Our God is the same. He's the same. From age to age, he's the same. And he moved in Abraham's life in such a way that I should gain encouragement. Abraham had to trust God. So do we. Abraham faced trials. So do we. The call of God is to follow in obedience I think of some of the things Abraham had to go through. Abraham had to wait. Anybody had to wait on the Lord to move in their life? He had to wait a quarter of a century for God to fulfill the promise of his original calling. 25 years he waited. Early in Genesis, we read of God's promise to Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. It's kind of hard to do when you don't have a son. 25 years he waited for Isaac. Abraham had times of failure. Did you know Abraham was a liar? He struggled with lying because of fear. Sarah, she's my sister, he said to Pharaoh. To Abimelech in Genesis 20, she's my sister. Only for that to boomerang back on him and make him look foolish. He had times of failure. When the promised son didn't come, Sarah was agitated and she pressed the envelope and she said, here, take my handmaid, Hagar, and produce an heir. And in a demonstration of the flesh and not believing God, Ishmael was born. He had times of testing. Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and take him to the place that I will show you and sacrifice him to me. Abraham walked with God. I love the commentary in Hebrews. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations. (laughs) This allows us to see into the mind of Abraham that as Abraham followed God, he was looking toward the the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You know, Abraham never owned any property except the, 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 the grave site of his wife, Sarah. 
He always lived in tents. He was always on the move. And his hope was that I'm moving towards the city that God has prepared for me, if not in this life, the one to come. And that God is not ashamed to be called his God, for he has prepared for them a city. So Abraham believed God as the one who, the only one who can justify the ungodly. And so a good biography helps us to maintain a divine perspective on life. It enlarges our view of of life and connects uh, us to those who have walked with God in previous generations. From age to age, he's the same. And we have such a mindset today, this ludicrous, uh, these ludicrous assertions of the secular mind that says that, that any, any advocacy of biblical truth needs to be removed altogether when this is our hope and our stay. So Romans 4 is focused on Abraham as an amazing picture of God's grace. And God called him from a pagan idolatrous uh, family to a saving covenant relationship. And what was true for Abraham is true for you if you would be right with God. Maybe that's a, a, a burning question for you this morning. I, I pray so that if you're without Jesus Christ or maybe have ideas similar to the frog wanting to jump out of the pail of milk, that you would say, I need a saving relationship. How can I be made right with God? Let's look to Abraham for some answers and may this encourage us that it's by faith in Christ alone. So notice with me first, if you're following in your insert, Father Abraham, God's grace upon a former idolater. You know, I love the Bible. I hope you love the Bible. It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. It tells us in clear terms how we can be made right with him, which is the most important commitment and relationship in pursuit of our lives. So salvation with the living God is presented in the Bible as a life or death proposition. Choose this day whom you will serve, the prophet said. Scripture doesn't presume to to pass on tales of fiction It's a book about real life rooted in history with real people, warts and all. So as we hold up Abraham, the reason we're going to do that is because he's the father of the faithful. And Paul has been making the case that this gospel of God that has come through the work of Jesus Christ is for Jew and for Gentile. And so the reason Abraham is held up by Paul is he's making the case that Abraham's faith came before the sign of the old covenant. Abraham's faith came before circumcision, which every true Jew under the old covenant was to obey. And anybody who didn't obey, God's word clearly said they would be cut off from my people. They couldn't be apart. It was a statement of judgment. So in order to start this new nation, God's people, and as you look at the book of Genesis, you have creation, how Adam and Eve are created, Cain and Abel come along, you you see the, the spiral down of the human race, which brought about the flood, and God says, I'm sorry I ever made man, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and Noah preserved the human human uh, family through Noah and his uh, wife and his three sons and their wives who made it through that, uh, the flood on the ark. And then the spread of the nations that came from Noah. And then in Genesis 12, we come to Abraham. 
Abraham is living in Ur of the Chaldees, which is a pagan country, a pagan nation. And we, um, we know that he's from a, a family of idolaters because Joshua fills in uh, the blanks for us. And Joshua said, thus says the Lord, long ago. So Joshua is speaking of Abraham as long ago. Long ago. This is Joshua 24, 2 and 3. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. So Paul begins here with Abraham. Seven times. His Abram meant the father is exalted. He was later called Abraham, father of the multitude. And Abraham was acknowledged as the father of the Jewish people. And except for Jesus Christ himself, was the most important person in the Bible, arguably. Spiritually, Abraham became the father of all true believers, Jew and Gentile. He's our father in faith if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the New Testament, the origin of salvation always leads back to God's original covenant to bring about the nation of Israel with Abraham. And Paul does that here in Romans. He also highlights Abraham as the father of the faithful in the book of Galatians. The New Testament begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ where you read and see Abraham's name at the top of the list. Mary, in her famous prayer in Luke 1, said, God has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants. Abraham is referred to as the friend of God. The friend of God. That, is, that occurs uh, several times in the, um, in the Bible. Abraham, the friend of God. This father Abraham who... By God's grace, upon a former idolater, uh, three times it's mentioned in the scripture that he's a friend of God. That's quite a compliment, isn't it? That'd be nice to be on a f the, the tombstone of a faithful follower of the Lord, wouldn't it? A friend of God. It's mentioned three times. Second Chronicles is one that comes to my mind, and it's a national crisis. And so would you plug in here with me? Here you have a king of Judah many years removed from Abraham, and he's in crisis. He's got foreign armies bearing down on him. And he, Jehoshaphat, was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord, and all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And then he prays. Listen to what Jehoshaphat prays. Did you not our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. Centuries removed from Abraham's life, this king is crying out to the God who's the same. And so what does Israel do? What does Judah do? They, they don't so much mount up the armies, they call a fast, they bring in the choir and they ambush their foes with a song. And God takes care of the problem. I'm not wanting to speak in simplistic terms, but I am wanting to emphasize that we would call upon the God 
of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham was the friend of God. Why? Well, I think in Romans 4.3, where it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's why. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. If you and I would be right with God, the pathway's the same. I must believe in the God who justifies the ungodly. If I'm going to be righteous before God, I need a righteousness outside of me. I don't have any to bring to the table. So when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that is, is, is who he is is credited to my account. And God receives that in me and credits that towards me. With Abraham, God did not reckon his sin against him by faith. God reckoned the righteousness of Christ to Abraham, even though it was centuries before Christ came. Notice with me, secondly, sola fide, faith alone has always been the way to salvation. The righteous will live by faith. And Paul takes this idea and picks it up in verse 9. And by the way, before I make that connection. We, we see in the text here in Romans 4, Abraham was justified by faith. 800 years later, we see David in verses 6 through 8. He's quoting Psalm 32. And he's speaking as one who's been blessed by God's forgiveness. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. David is justified by faith alone. And in verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Is this only for the Jews or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Now, circumcision is not a hot topic of conversation among us, but it was a big deal in the first century. It was a big deal. Maybe you'll remember in reading in the book of Acts, Acts 16, Timothy, his mother was Jewish, his father was Greek. And before he went on the missionary travels with Paul, what did Timothy have done? Timothy was circumcised. And that says a lot about Timothy, doesn't it? He didn't want there to be a stumbling block, and so he complied and went with the apostle Paul. Um... The Gentiles were referred to as the uncircumcision. The Jews were referred to as the circumcision. And this all goes back to Genesis 17 where God commanded Abraham to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant that he made with him. And if you didn't get circumcised, you, you couldn't be a part of the people of God or the covenant privileges and obligations that came with obeying or seeking to obey the law. Maybe you remember Goliath, how he was referred to in the battle with David, um, Goliath, the giant from Gath, the uncircumcised Philistine. And so, moving on through the first century in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas gave a report of, to, in Jerusalem. Hey, look, fellow brothers, many Gentiles are coming in. They're coming in. They're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the Jews were saying, well, that's all fine and well, but they need to be circumcised first. 
They need to become a Jew before they can really enter into the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And that's the whole point of Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council was to say once and for all that a Gentile doesn't need to embrace Judaism to become a true believer in, in Jesus Christ. He doesn't need circumcision. You don't need to become a Jew in order to come to Christ. The outward signs of privilege are, are not sufficient. And even, even those religious Jews were often rebuked by Stephen. You remember when Stephen gave his defense, he said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You may be outwardly circumcised, but your heart is hard as granite. So what Paul is making the case here in Romans 4, 9 through 11 is that faith came before circumcision. It, it came before circumcision. Why would that be important? Well, he's, let's, let's follow these verses. Verse 10. How then was it counted to him, this righteousness? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Well, he believed in God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. In Genesis 15, he was circumcised as God came to him to establish the covenant in Genesis 17. It was, he was circumcised after he believed. It was not after, but before he was circumcised that he believed. He received the sign of the covenant as a seal of righteousness. Now this ought to inform us with our picture of baptism, shouldn't it? Baptism doesn't save anyone. And by the way, we have several that are in the queue to be baptized very soon. And I look forward to you hearing their testimonies from the baptistry. It's faith in Jesus Christ that precedes baptism. Baptism is a command of Christ of obedience, saying to his disciples that go into all the world and preach the gospel. And those who believe, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So Abraham was saved before he was circumcised, is the point. It is faith that saves. Circumcision is not enough. And so Paul is making this case for this reason, that he would be, Abraham would be the father of all who believe. He would be the progenitor of all who would believe. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe with, without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well, to us. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of faith. And so Abraham stands before us as our progenitor and the one we look to as an example of faith in believing and trusting in God. And this is Paul's point. So that's all fine and well for Abraham. Maybe you're saying, what, what, what about me and my walk with God? How do I walk in the footsteps of faith? And by the way, by the way that is going to be the theme for this month, is how do I walk by faith in the Lord? What does that look like? What does a saving relationship with God look like in my life? Well, I would mention several things just by way of closing this morning. The first would be responding to God's revelation. You may not be an Ur of the Chaldees. 
And, and God may not come to you the way he came to Abraham, but he speaks today. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and obey me. That's my, that's my comfort in preaching, <laughs> is to be faithful with the word of God that his sheep would hear his voice and respond to it in, in faith. And God speaks through his word. God points us to the cross. And that God has revealed very clearly that Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. If David believed in God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. If I'm going to be declared righteous before God, it's not because of what I do. I need to believe and trust in what God has provided for me in Christ alone. Getting right with God, being acquitted in his court, being forgiven for our sins being declared righteous and having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us is by faith alone. And this is Paul's point all the way through the book of Romans. Do you believe that? So I think maybe that would be first on the list. How do I w walk in the footsteps of faith? I must believe. I must trust personally in Jesus Christ. Not in my efforts to hold it together. And with this becomes, secondly, a tr really a trusting in his promises. What do you think Abraham felt like when God came to him, living in a pagan family, a pagan background, idolaters, and said, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave the country you're familiar with. I want you to go to the place that I will show you. You think that took faith? God spoke. Does not God speak through the Bible? Does not the claims of Jesus Christ, do not the claims of Jesus Christ ring true with you? Stand on those promises. They're going to be the same all the days that you live in this world. And if you rest in them, they'll take you into his very presence. Trusting personally in his promises. Abraham, you know, then communicating it to Sarah. We're moving, Sarah. Really, where? I don't know. That doesn't usually go well, does it, guys? And so she believed. And they moved out in obedience. Listen, an imperfect faith will unite you to a perfect Christ. The cry of the believer is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help me to walk in what... Your word says, may it be to me a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And then finally, pursuing obedience to God in all of life. Salvation is not just a prayer that you pray at a one-time event and then move on from. True saving faith is a life given to repentance and faith and obedience that you begin in a moment and continue all the days of your life. So what's encouraging to me as I look at Abraham when he lied to Pharaoh and when he um, uh, acted out with regard to Hagar with Ishmael being born and, and then he's dishonest later is the mark of Abraham's true saving relationship with God is, is that he was persevering in faith. Maybe consistency and perseverance is something you struggle with. I really appreciated the words 
in the honesty of this one brother who struggled early in his Christian life with faith and obedience and assurance. He said, um, if there were a Guinness Book of World Records for how many times I asked Jesus into my heart, I'd win. By the time I reached the age of 18, I had probably asked Jesus into my heart 5,000 times. I walked a lot of aisles during those days. I think I've been saved at least once in every denomination. Because I understood baptism to be a post-salvation confession of faith, each time I gained a little assurance. I felt like I, I battled with assurance. I felt like I should get rebaptized four times total. Honestly, it got pretty embarrassing. I became a staple at our, church, at our church's baptism services. I got my own locker in the baptismal area. <laughs> it was a wretched experience. My spiritual life was characterized by cycles of doubt, aisle walking, more baptisms. I could not find the assurance of salvation no matter how often or how sincerely I asked Jesus into my heart. Can a person who has made a decision at some point in the past live with the assurance that he is saved forever regardless of how he lives? The short answer is no, he can't. Salvation does indeed happen in a moment and once you are saved, you're always saved. Once you're born again, you can't be unborn again. The mark, however, of someone who is saved is that they maintain their confession of faith until the end of their lives. Salvation is not a prayer you pray at a one-time ceremony and then move on from. Salvation is a posture of repentance and faith that you begin in a moment and maintain for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. I can't help but think of John 6 when Jesus began to speak in hard terms like, unless you drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, you, 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 you can't follow me. And they just began to file out in droves. And many walked no more with him. And Jesus looked at the 12 and said, shall you also go? And Peter spoke for every true believer who will ever live. Where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? But to him... So bring your struggles and your failures and know you're among good company. Just look to Father Abraham who believed God and God was not ashamed to be called his God. And he was marching towards the city whose architect and builder was God. The ever quotable Charles Spurgeon is it not glorious that the Lord of all is the Savior of sinners? Would you bow with me in prayer? Maybe your hope is in your efforts. I pray that you would see that's a dead end and will only leave you more in debt. The offer this morning is the best offer you can ever hear. And that is what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. Is He your Savior? Are you following in the footsteps of Abraham? Would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, His death on the cross? 
where he paid for your sins. The sin of every believer he paid for on the cross. Would you call out to him today? Maybe this walk of faith has you in a corner and you don't know where you're going to turn. You have needs that are stacked up in your life. Would you trust the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of every believer, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he will hold you fast. In no way will he turn you away if you come to him. Are you in his grip? Why don't you run to him right now, by faith, right now, to him. Call out to him right now in your heart of hearts. Lord, we're thankful that we could look at the life of Abraham this morning. We're thankful for all of this being preserved in your word and that you have not been silent, but you've pointed us to walk by faith. May we do that right now. This week, may we rest in you. With all the uncertainties and contingencies of life, may we, may we, may we trust you and look to you and believe you and rest in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.